I'd like you to open your Bible once again to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're looking at verses 4 and 5, and the subject is the enemy within. The enemy within. It's quite a subject, probably controversial in some circles, but the fact of the matter remains that there is a problem that we all have to deal with inside. Things that happened to us before we were Christians. Doors that we opened up to the enemy through ignorance when we were growing up. Didn't know any better. And the reason I say we all have to deal with it is because the Bible says we all have strongholds that have to be dealt with. This verse here doesn't say those of you that have strongholds apply the weapons of your warfare to get rid of them. But it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then he mentions casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, we've already talked about those things, but we must realize as Christians that we are all in a continual war. There are no exceptions in this room. We are all in a battle of some sort. Well, like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, he said, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of flesh and spirit. When God saved us, we brought that in. That was part of us. The renewing of the mind is a process that has to take place with all Christians. Nobody came to the Lord perfect. He was cleansed, that is, he was made new in Christ. But all those habits and actions and reactions that you were trained to do in this world. You got to deal with that because if you don't, they'll just keep coming back and you'll struggle with your Christian life the rest of your life. You got to deal with stuff, things in your life that tend to control you and hold you back and defeat you, make you wonder all the time, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I? Because you got to deal with things and you've been equipped. I mean, Jesus said this. He said, behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and all the power of the enemy. He's not talking about if you're going out west in the desert, so a snake, if it bites you or a scorpion stings you, you'll be all right. But those are words that deal with people. Just like Jesus said, these signs shall follow those that believe. And one of the signs was they shall take up serpents. He didn't talk about snakes, but the vile people in this world are like serpents. They're like roaring lions. They're like adders. They're things that want to destroy. That's what defines the devil. He comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. That's who you deal with. That's behind every offensive and evil thing in your life today and forever. Everything that's not of God, doesn't please God, doesn't honor God, comes from another source, and you've got to deal with it. Now, if we don't preach about these things because they're uncomfortable for people to listen to, I know that a lot of people naturally do not like to have to deal with things that we're talking about. But if we don't deal with it, then we'll never be aware of the wiles of the devil. I mean, we have to know our enemy. We have to know what he does. And we also have to know how to deal with him. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of Christianity. If we're not going to fight then there's no reason for some of these verses like fighting the good fight of faith. Fight what? What are we fighting? Or the weapons of our warfare here, what's the need for that? Uh, God saved me, put me in heaven, I'm all right. Then there's no reason for you to fight. You can close your Bible, you're done. 
Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about the principalities and powers, things that you can't see, but you got to fight because our enemy is not somebody that you can see. It's somebody that you can't see. And the reason we know that that's true is because the Bible says it. And we know that through life, there are things out there that something's wrong. Why can't I get the victory over it? Why do I tend to fall asleep? Why do I struggle so much with faith? There's a problem. The devil doesn't want you to be free to learn and free to grow and free to enjoy life or Jesus. God doesn't want us to come to a place where we don't see the big deal about going to church anymore. I don't need that. I mean, he doesn't want us to have that attitude. That attitude gets in, and you got to get it out because nobody's going to get it out for you. It's going to be identified by the Lord. you got a problem, and then you're going to have to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, it'll control you in some degree in your Christian life. So there is an enemy within that we're talking about. Now, what we're looking at, what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is how do we deal with this enemy? Because there is a real devil. I mean, one, you deal with him with knowledge. That's what we're here for, to learn who our enemy is. Proverbs 11 says, through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Those that have been made right with God can be delivered as God teaches them things. You shall know the truth. And the truth has the power to make you free, if you believe it. But through knowledge, another thing is through resistance. James 5 said, resist the devil and what? The devil has no right to just come and do whatever he wants to do. You're taught that. And so you also know that when he does come around, deal with him. Learn what he's about. Learn what he does. Take note of the scripture that says that this is the way the devil, you know, like a roaring lion, he goes about seeking whom he can devour. If he can't get you, he'll take your children. If he can't get your children, he'll like to get all your friends or the church, whatever he can to put us to sleep, make us indifferent, lose interest. Whatever he can do with whoever he can do it with, that's what he does. Now, the Bible said if you resist him, that he will flee from you. And he knows that he has to. Like Peter said, resist him firm in the faith. Because that's the third way that we resist the devil. We've got to have faith. You've got to believe that the book you're holding in your lap, you've got to believe that it's true. And not only is it true, but that it works. That if God said it, God will do it. So if we teach what God said and you believe what God said, then what God said will work for you. Now, if you only mentally agree with it, yeah, well, the Bible says that, but you don't believe it, you'll never make application of it. You'll content yourself to sit in church and be a member of a church the rest of your life. I was on that same road myself. Nothing to all of this. It's just church. You just go to church. You listen to the preacher and hope something comes out. I mean, it's all it was. When I got saved, it could have stayed like that, except God sent messages our way, things that were new, things that were different, things I'd never heard before, didn't know what to do with, had to wrestle with it. And these things began to open my eyes into a whole bunch of Christianity that I'd never heard of. As I began to study the scriptures, as Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, that's what he does. He opens your eyes. He'll show you things. And he began to show me things that apparently a lot of other people wasn't seeing or didn't want to see, and it caused a conflict. But it doesn't matter. If you want to grow, you got to know. If you want to know, you're going to grow. And so begin to grow and know and know and grow, and, and faith comes out of all of this, and 
scares the daylights out of people, but it sets you free. And then last time we were dealing with that, and I'm going to pick it up again this morning. Sometimes the devil goes because of a command from a believer. A believer has to make a command for an enemy to go, for the devil to go. Now, that's strange to a lot of people. But the Bible does teach that there are people who are possessed or inhabited and controlled by the devil. Remember the damsel that Paul and his companion faced in Acts chapter 16? This got them thrown in prison, which got a family saved. But anyway, this woman who was possessed with the spirit of divination followed them for many days. I mean, the first time this woman came around, Paul knew that she had a demon, but he didn't try to deal with it. But she kept on and kept on and kept on. Finally, you know, well, that's enough. And he turned and told the devil to come out of her, and the Bible says that he came out of her. So, and again, I'm not saying that there are gender distinctions with demons any more than there are with angels. But he did come out of that lady. The spirit did. And then there was a gathering demoniac who was full of devil, had a legion of demons in him. So they were all in there possessing this person, controlling and terrorizing this man. I mean, doing all the things they could to make his life as miserable as he could. That's what the devil does to anybody he can. Again, he goes about looking for that soul who doesn't want to learn, who wants to stay in the dark, whose religion, the little bit they have is enough. And he wants to come in and begin to make things not work for that person, make them miserable. That's the work of the devil, to kill and to steal and destroy. Now, we mentioned this last time, but because there are devils that inhabit people, some people can't resist the devil. Or what they've learned, they cannot apply. They've been controlled for so long, maybe they're mentally handicapped. The Bible speaks of those that are lunatic. Remember in Mark chapter 1, when the day was over, they brought unto him many who were, well, impaired. And many of them, the Bible defines as lunatics, so they can't deal with their problem themselves. They can't just resist the devil or tell him to leave him and he'll go. Some people need help. That's why in Mark chapter 16, the Bible said, these signs shall follow those who believe. And one of those signs is they shall cast out devils. Now, I think for an average church member, I know when, before I got saved, I would read that, and I would go to the next verse. I never paid any attention to it. I didn't understand it. How did that fit in? I mean, what's that? What is casting out a devil? Or really, a word is better, probably demon. What does that mean, casting it out? Yeah, it was in, and by your, whatever you're going to do, it goes out. It was in this person. You made a command, and it came out of that person. Now, that happened frequently in Jesus' life, and you know it. He told them to come out of them. These demons came out of people, and they screamed and did all kinds of things. So it's there. It's in the Bible. We've just never paid a lot of attention to it, not in the last 15, 20 years. When I first got saved, this is one of the first things that I was confronted with. And I thought, my goodness, what is this? And I can't handle that at the beginning, but then I began to see evidence of it. The very thing the Bible said, I, well, yeah, it's everywhere. You see people all the time who are in some way affected by the devil. And then there are those who couldn't get free. They, maybe they had a bad past, the memories. They were molested as children, developed different kinds of sexual problems, and just couldn't cope with it. 
or people who had an accident and couldn't cope with something they saw happen, saw somebody die. I could tell stories about that, but I don't want to take up all my time. And there was this terror or fear that drove these people. And no matter what you tried to teach them, they couldn't get free. They needed what we call deliverance. They needed to be set free. They needed help. And only a believer can help these people get free. A psychiatrist wouldn't know what to do with this. But the Bible says that we are there to help these people. So when do we help them? Well, there's no manual in here that says when we do this, we just do it like Paul did when it comes, when it happens. You're a believer. You've been taught. You don't go looking for somebody to practice on. You don't try to, let me see if I can find somebody who's got a devil in them. You don't do that. You're taught and you're trained, and whenever a situation arises, I've been there. I've been around this a lot, more than I've taught. And I've seen some things. I've heard a lot of things. Sometimes I sort of hesitate to tell them because I think, well, people never believe that. But I've seen it. I was there. And just because you see a demonic situation come up, that doesn't mean that you can deal with it. Sometimes you have to start talking to a person. If they recognize they got a problem and they want help, then you can. Sometimes people don't want help. They like attention. They would rather have sympathy than healing or sympathy than deliverance. They like a lot of attention. I've seen that too. And so you learn, first of all, what God says about this subject. And then you pray for his anointing to be with you when it needs to be released. And folks, unless God anoints you to do this, you probably can't. I mean, you're going to be around a lot of sick people in your life with the verse the scripture says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But that doesn't mean you can lay hands on any sick person you come to and they'll just recover because the Bible says it. All of this has to be orchestrated by God. God has to be the one who gives the power. Do you believe that? And if God doesn't give the power, it won't work. How many people did Jesus walk by in his day that he didn't try to heal? How many people did he not try to improve upon or fix them, to drive the devil out of them? We don't know. We know that when they came to him, he drove them out. But he didn't go out looking for somebody, hey, you want to be free? Because there's something that God has to do in all of this. And having wisdom... It's being able to hear from God and know his time. And when you have that and that anointing comes, and you can deal with the devil, but you do need discernment. Any of you that are going overseas or going on missionary trips, you need discernment. Somebody I heard years ago said, if you ever go to a place like India, you better know something about deliverance. Then I went to India many years ago, spent a week over there. I saw a whole lot of things, lepers and glassy-eyed people walking down streets and a lot of strange, demonically controlled people. I couldn't just go up and stop them and drive demons out of them, but I was able to see what the devil was doing. If they come to you and say, can you help me? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Do you believe you could? Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Somebody said, well, I hear you're a Christian, are you? Yes. Well, my son here has a spirit that throws him into the fire. Remember that story? Can you drive this thing out? Can you cast this devil out of my son? Or would you have a cell phone and say, what's Brother Hamilton's number? Because I see who's calling. I put the block on it. 
No. No, I wouldn't do that. We want to get everybody free, but you have to know what you're doing, and you have to believe. Remember the, that story about that little son probably had a seizure of some sort and was trying to destroy this man's child. He brought him to Jesus' disciples. Now, they had already gone out two by two and cast out devils and healed the sick, and here comes a guy bringing him a child, had a need, and they couldn't cast it out. You know why they couldn't? Because of their faith. The littleness of their faith, Jesus said, because of your unbelief. How can this be? We've done it before. You can only do it under that unction or that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you have to be ready. Listen, Christianity is a day-long life. I mean, this is what we do every day. We live a Christian life. Amen. And you never know what's going to come your way or what God will allow to come into your life. But if you're equipped, then you should be able to deal with it and not just fall apart or collapse. That's not a good testimony. So take seriously what you're hearing about this. You never know. I mean, in the last days, these things are going to happen. And sometimes, like with that spirit there, Jesus said, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And the average Christian has never fasted. They might have abstain from a breakfast one morning, but a lot of Christians have never, ever fasted in their whole life. And fasting was a practice in the Bible. Many of them did it regularly. And yet, the point of fasting was not just to see how long you can go without eating, but it was a time spent denying yourself eating and all that just to spend time with the Lord. Or in a time of crisis, to not be distracted by foods and all the effect that food has on your body, making you go to sleep and so forth. But it's a time of, of seeking direction and help from the Lord. Sometimes it was such a serious need, like in a time of crisis in Israel, they declared a fast, a three-day fast. The whole nation fasted, even children. I mean, it was a serious matter to get the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God as to what you should do with your life. It's not a time to eat and party. It's a time to pray. And they did that. And while I believe that fasting should be a part of every Christian's life, it sadly isn't. So how do you cast devils out of people? You know, there's no manual that tells you how to do this. There's no little book that you can say, okay, step one, you stare at them. Step two, you holler at them. It doesn't do that. As far as I can tell in the Bible, when devils were cast out of people, a command of faith, a word was spoken. Come out of him, loose him, or whatever they said to them. A direct command from a believer to the devil himself, addressing him to come out of a person, to leave a person, and it did. You young folks have never seen any of this. You've never been around this, and this may be a little bit strange to you. But I invite you to read especially the New Testament. Beginning with the Gospels, that's where most of it happened. And it happened in the book of Acts too. But you recognize and you realize that in this world that you're living in now, in the town you live in, there's demonic activity everywhere. And sometimes the reason we don't concern ourselves with it is because we don't recognize it as demonic activity. We're not aware that that is what the devil's doing. That's the devil. You're a Christian. Take note, learn something here. See how those people are acting? See how those people dress? 
See how those people are arguing and fussing and loud mouth and want to be seen or heard? That's the devil. There are people he can use to act that way. Not only are these people distracting, but they're controlled by the devil. Their life has no good end to it unless they get free. Now, he's showing us those things. It was somebody said, well, you're judging people. I, you know, I probably shouldn't have opened my mouth and said anything because I know that would sound judgmental. But I can personally see a lot of demonic activity in this world. And I'm sure you can too. Go to the fair. You'll see it. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. God knows I'm not. Now, you might be, but I'm not. I'm still dealing with some things. There'll never be a time I will not have to deal with something personal. Just an abrupt, critical remark or some kind of smart aleck answer. That wasn't inspired of God, was it? I don't mean the devil's in there doing that, but he gives you a suggestion and you respond to it. You got to overcome it, resist that. That's not Christianity. Let me bring up something else this morning, what we call self-deliverance. Self-deliverance. You may recognize that there are things in your life that do impair you or do control you, but you're of good sound mind and you recognize that, well, the devil's got a grip here. I'm not talking about being forgiven of your sins. You've already been forgiven of your sins. I've been forgiven of mine. It's my personality that was warped by the devil for 28 years of my life that I'm still dealing with. How many of you believe that the mind has to be renewed? Coming to Christ was trained by the world to act and react. It's very selfish, self-centered. Everything is for me, my and mine. The anger problems, the frustration and the pouting and the, what we call the spoiled brat syndrome. All these things you were trained to be like that growing up. This was how you were raised. The society that raised you, the educational system that raised you. Maybe your parents that did their very best but didn't really know all the things they should have known. It's how you were raised. We were just trained to live in a certain way and act in a certain way. We were trained to be afraid. We were trained to doubt. Even churches today are organized with systems that are based on non-trust. I mean, we couldn't let somebody be a preacher without us voting on what his limitations are. It's fear. I mean, there's just something about not trusting anybody. I remember the church I grew up in, we had a board that regulated everything in the church and our Officers, which would be trustees, elders, and deacons were elected every two years for deacons and every four years for elders, just like the government. Even our meeting was run by Robert's Rules of Order, and he's not even in the Bible. It was, because that's the way we're trained. That's what is sensible. This is the way educated people in America ought to conduct their affairs, including the church. And the government says, well, we'll let you do that and give you some breaks if you'll just not say anything about the president, all right? I mean, everything is so political and so natural and so common. You start reading the Bible and you think, well, that's not what God said. God didn't say that. Who started that? How do we get that in the church? How do we come to that? Are we afraid somebody's going to rule over us or somebody's going to take over us? I mean, if we let somebody be a deacon forever, 
DFL, you know what a DFL, deacon for life. If we let somebody just run the show forever, while they might, while they might, while they might, well, I don't trust anybody to have an office in the church and, and not be regulated. You think, let me see. What chapter was that in? Problem with us, we don't trust people. We don't even trust each other. We don't. We don't trust each other. Or we do trust some people, but as a group, as a church, as a body of believers, typically in America, we don't trust each other. Now, how did such an attitude come into church? I might recognize, you know, I've got a problem with that or a problem with anger, criticism. I grew up critical. I grew up with a critical spirit. When I become a basketball coach, part of my job was to scout the other teams to prepare my team for the coming game. What you do is critique and criticize and find faults and then go back and lie to your team about how good they were. It's just part of the whole thing. Then you just let it go in church. You see things you don't like, you tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. You can't keep your mouth shut. You got to talk. It's what drives wedges between us. It's what causes us to, to have dissension in the church. Scoffers and complainers and critics. Churches are notorious for their splitting. Banks are hesitant to loan money to build buildings because, you know, if you all split, you're going to go broke and we don't get our money back. How did it get like this? How do we as redeemed saints come to the place where still to this hour the world views us like this? Are there personality traits that never get solved? Do we have to walk on tiptoes around certain people the rest of our life because, well, you know, they're real sensitive. You have to watch what you say. Can't they get delivered from that? Can't you get free from that? Do we have to live like that forever? What can we teach that will cause people to see that problem? How do they get such a problem with them? Maybe it's in the family tree. You know, in the family tree, we call it generational curses. In my family, it, it might have been a lot of things. <laughs> Loaded up. But you know that there's things that run in families, whether it's marital discord, crime, alcoholism, certain kinds of diseases or problems. I just read the other day about an actress who had both of her breasts removed because in her family tree, that was a common problem to have breast cancer. So she thought she had cut her breast off before she got the cancer because she was expecting it to happen. Those are generational things I'm talking about. Curses. When you open a door to the devil here, the Bible teaches that when you open a door, it can stay for four generations. And somewhere along in there, your kids do the same thing and open it again, and it just keeps going. It shouldn't be in our families. We shouldn't have to have these strange traits in our family tree. My kids should not have to grow. Well, you know, like father, like son. Doesn't have to be like that. You recognize who's behind the problem. And then you deal with it. You take yourself through deliverance. I've done it many times in my own life because I've seen things in my own life that were not right, but I allowed it to be. You say, well, you can blame that on your mother and dad. Well, you know, if my mother hadn't thrown cereal in my face because I spit it out once, I probably would have never stuttered. 
You see, I did stutter. I did stutter a lot. I was embarrassed. I knew I was different. knew I felt inferior to anybody. I couldn't talk without, and then people start laughing. And I had to grow up making fun of stuttering so I could bear the shame of it all. And they just called me, Ta-Ta-Ta-Tommy. They used to have a little song they'd sing. Ta-Ta-Ta-Tommy, Ta-Ta-Ta-Tommy, because they knew that I stuttered. One day I realized when I was a Christian, I don't have to stutter. I don't have to stutter. Where does it say that stuttering is a blessing? It's not normal. Jesus didn't stutter, did he? So I took myself through deliverance. I said, now in Jesus' name, I recognize that I do have a problem. I am flawed physically and mentally here. I am flawed, but I don't have to be. I take authority because the Bible, didn't he give us that? Behold, I give you authority over. Mark 16, you shall. I, I take authority over this. I don't know much about this yet. I'm new in it, but I take authority over this stuttering and I command it to cease in Jesus' name and stuttered for another year. And every time I'd go through that, I'd say, I've told you, you got to go. Lord rebuke you, Satan. And it'd come against you, especially on the phone. Back in the days when I grew up, the operator would ask you for your number. Number, please. And that was a signal to bind up the tongue. I think some of them operators thought I was singing to them. My number was 63R on Monroe Street. And on Level Street, it was 185J. That's what you told the operator. 185J, if, you could, if I could say it. Otherwise, I'd spend the night in town. Ooh. She said, never, please. Ooh. Click, it's over. She wouldn't listen anymore. Sound like a werewolf on the other side of that phone. She said, I'm going to listen to that. Well, I knew that wasn't right. I took authority over that. I don't have to have that. I don't have to have that. So I took authority. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. They keep trying to come back because that's what they do. When they go out, they try to come back. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That's whose word I'm depending on. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. There's certain traits in the family, but my mom or dad had, you know, the marital things. I can see how that would have affected my life. If I had been married to a good woman, I, I would have been divorced many years ago because of this behavioral problems that I had. You know, this fear of being less than perfect and trying to act perfect. After a while, you see it. God finally breaks through even the hardest of heads, and nobody's head is harder than mine. You can say it, amen. And the Lord gets through, and you begin to see the problem. I realized that I'd get down on myself all the time because I'd say things and do things and act certain ways. And I think, why? And then I go on a trip. I think, why do I act like that? Why do I do that? I've been trained to do that. That's just the way I've been. I don't have to be that way. That's not the way God teaches me to be. I'm not going to allow that to just be. I'm going to deal with it. It's an enemy. It's a stronghold in my life. 
and it's got to go. And God has given me the equipment to deal with it with. I have a tract here called Occult Oppression and Bondage. You know, years ago, we used to carry these in our Bible and use them a lot because so many people we ran into, you could identify so many problems. It tells you here that in the first little paragraph after the beginning about vital questions to consider, and it asks you, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Have you ever consulted a fortune teller or a war charmer? You ever had any water witching done? You know, farmers do that all the time, or people have it done to find water lines or other kind of lines, and it doesn't work for everybody, but it does work for some people. Have you ever been to a fortune teller, played the Ouija board or the other games, Kabbalah? Have you ever been involved in other religions that deny the deity of Christ? All these things you do when you're seeking information or help from some source that is not God. Some other source, you're wanting to find information about tomorrow, about where your water is, anything. That source is not of God, it's of something else. And you open a door. A door is opened into your life, into your circumstances. Many, of many, many different kinds of manifestations. Sometimes you just have trouble with faith or with receiving the Holy Ghost. Or you have trouble with falling asleep in church. Or you have trouble, just, you just have accidents all the time, always hurting yourself. Or you can't understand what people are saying. Things don't make sense. Do you realize that behind everything that is opposed to God is the devil? There's only two forces in the world. There's God and the devil. There's no other one. And you're the central player in this thing. The devil vies for your attention because he knows if he can get your attention as a man thinketh, so is he. That he can control you. On the other hand, if God gets your attention, then he controls you. You're going to be tempted. You're going to hear what you shouldn't do. God's going to tell you what you should do. It's you that has to make a decision. And many of the decisions that we made in our life are not decisions based on what God said, but just what our parents taught us or the school taught us or our friends do. We're just part of a system. And we get spiritually warped. The darkness that was in us controlled us. We drank, we caroused, we ran around, we messed up, goofed off told dirty jokes, looked at dirty pictures, everything that normal people do. The reason you did it is because you're trained to do it. You had no will to resist. You didn't want to resist. The urge to look and whoo, I mean, you couldn't resist. And then one day God saves you. And what a struggle you go through sometimes. It doesn't just leave overnight, but you struggle with the devil. You try to resist, and you have a hard time resisting. Think, how can that be? I'm a Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, why are you doing that? If you're a Christian, why are you talking like that? If you're a Christian, why do you say stuff like that? If you're a Christian, why do you treat people like that? If you're a Christian, why do you talk to your family like that? That's not Christian. Why do you do that? And people that get delivered say, you know, I don't know why, but I'm going to deal with it because I don't want to displease God. I don't want to have all this information given to me in my lifetime and then live as though none of it exists. Or if it does exist and I recognize it, that there's no power in what God says to set me free. 
may I be a receptacle of the word of God and may its effect in my life be seen. I want to be free. I not only want to be free, but I want to tell you how to be free. And, and this little track, I could encourage all of you to get it and read it. There's some really good questions in here, some good things that a Christian ought to consider. Because he talks about in here characteristics of those who are oppressed. And there are many things in here that are identified as being spiritually oppressed. as prolonged depression or gloominess. Some people do have a sadness about them a whole lot. Some people are overly shy. Some people are overly loud. Some people are seeking attention. Some people don't want to even be noticed. I'm not saying that they're not normal characteristics about us that are good. I mean, it's good to be quiet. Amen. I would have got all of our children would learn to be Q-U-I-E-T quiet. They can be trained. But there are sometimes things that overwhelm people, things that overwhelm us. You need deliverance. You need to be released from the power of that stuff to control your life. It's not helping you spiritually. It's not adding to your Christian life. I think there are probably ministers in the ministry who are propelled by a spirit of gain and lust and covetousness, who have learned to act in a certain way to capture people's affections. I think you know what I'm talking about. There's a spirit behind that. How many of you know that God does not take advantage of his people? He doesn't do that. He may fuss at them. He does that. He chastises whom he loves. He may say a lot of things that people say, that's hard. If it's gospel, it's just the truth. But God doesn't abuse his people. That's why a man treats his wife the way Christ treats the church. He doesn't abuse her. Amen. From all the girls, amen. I'm not saying anybody here is either. But there are people that have been controlled by drugs and alcohol. They've had all kinds of addictions, whether to stealing, sex, or even fear of germs, have to wash their hands all the time, can't shake hands with people. There are certain kinds of problems that you have that's not of God. God did not give you that. He does not want you to have that. You need to recognize the problem and get free with it. Now, how do we do it? Well, number one, you confess as an open door, your involvement in it. Like if you read this track, certain occult things you do. I went to the carnival and on a bet had my fortune told. Or I went to a palm reader one time because I was going to invest in the stock market and I need to know now. I was going to the racetrack. I want to find out who's going to win. Well, they'll tell you. They'll do their best. You open yourself up to something. You bought into something as a Christian that snares you. And the devil does want to snare you. Just give him place and he'll take it. And you can give place to the devil. We've already taught on that. But you confess as an open door that has led to the problem that you have. Lord, my involvement in that time my mother charmed a wart on my finger, a little tie knot in a string, rubbed the knot on the wart, buried the string. When the string rotted away, the wart would go away, and it did. Would you agree with me that that wasn't the way God deals with warts? So it's wrong. Now, for those who are liberal and say, oh, come on. No, you come on. 
I'm not playing game. I'm not trying to, to say stuff that, that's cute. Because the devil snares you. Anytime you open a door to him, he takes the opportunity. You got to deal with stuff. All of us do. Fears. Fear of conceiving again. A lot of women and men have trouble in their relationship because she's afraid of having another child. And that affects the way she acts. That's not a good fear to have. Well, you've never had nothing. I'm just saying, that's not a good fear to have. Boy, and I've lost a whole bunch of you on that one. They're just things that we need to deal with in our lives. Whatever is affecting you adversely spiritually, whatever trait in your life does not honor God, you need to deal with it. Jesus said, Satan has no place in me, I want to say the same thing at the terminus of my life, that the devil has no place in me either. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the evidence of one that is greater in me will be seen by how I live. That's why others ask you a reason of the hope that is within you, that when the world's falling apart and you have a smile on your face and a good report, how can you talk like that? Because I know in whom I have believed. I know that he's able to keep what I gave him. I gave him me. Is he not able to take care of me? Is he not able to provide for my needs? then why should I have an unchristian mindset and lifestyle that doesn't glorify God at all by living my fears? Set me free, Lord. Let grace come in an abundant measure to your people to set your people free. The second thing you do after you confess it as an open door you state your ground or position. Now, you're going to deal with the devil here. So you said, now, my authority over you, devil, is outlined in the Bible, and this is what it says. And then you got to know what it says. I mean, that's why you're taught. Whether you take notes or try to remember things or not, I don't know. But the word is precious. It's the one thing that the Holy Spirit uses as a sword to deliver you. You don't give the Holy Spirit a sword, you don't listen, then you got no weapon. Amen. And your defeat will not be comfortable. And the third thing is you use that authority and you command whatever it is you're dealing with to leave. I command this spirit of confusion to leave. I command this spirit of whatever it is to leave. You will not have any more rights to my life. My door that I've recognized that allowed you in, I have just told you to leave and I command you to go and not come back. I've done it with all my children. And various times, growing up, sickness, Bonnie and I have different blood types. She's one thing and I'm something else, and it's supposed to cause a problem. It's technical, but it's supposed to possibly cause a problem when after the first child. And they have shots they give you so that your next conception will not be complicated with, with blood problems. And we had six more after the first one. And you know what? It's not right. I don't care what my blood type is. I don't care if my blood type is ZK-6. A or AB or O positive or whatever. I don't care what all of that is. I don't care what technically, biologically, 
confirmable as a problem. I don't care. If God said nothing shall by any means hurt you and all things whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe you'll receive it, then you shall receive it. And that's what we did. And we had six more children. Somebody said, oh, that was dangerous. <laughs> well, it's a little late now. They all seem normal to me. <laughs> I'm just saying that I wouldn't tell you to do that. I didn't have much choice. See, that's the way God deals with me. Maybe you feel like the word of God is an option. I don't. When it's clear to me, I got no choice. No other choice. You understand? It's not an option. I don't have something else I can do. If he said, this is the way walk in, and I can't say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Maybe somebody can. I can't say that. When my eyes are open to see things he wants me to do or have, I have no other choice. Now, when he teaches me on this subject, when he says three times in the Bible, he teaches my hands to war. Now, when he does, then I want to engage in spiritual warfare. My enemy is not a flesh and blood enemy. My enemy is unseen. And I want to be able to do this skillfully because I want to be free. Why would God show us these things if he didn't want us to be loose from them? Say, so, oh, well, God will take care of that. He'll just loose me from them. Then why does he teach us to fight then? Why does it say we wrestle against principalities and powers if we don't have to fight? Why does it tell us to resist the devil if we don't have to? What difference does it make if the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he can't, he can't devour me? I'm a member of the whatever church. Oh, you're deceived. That was of the devil too. You get your eyes open and you begin to see the nature of what's trying to destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your children, to keep you from having anything right that God has keep you asking the rest of your life in some woeful attitude, oh God, why doesn't it work for me? I've been around that so much in my life. It works. There's reasons why it doesn't work for some people. Some people just don't want to make the effort to get in and dig in the word and get some faith, maybe to fast. I want to know how to deal with this, Lord. Eh, doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. It does matter. We want everybody to be free, to be aware of the, again, the wiles of the devil, the way he operates, the way he tries to destroy people. So we command the spirit to leave us, and then we praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm tempted to give a whole bunch of examples of years gone by, but it'd take too long and it's too detailed. But we do this, and we just thank the Lord for his deliverance. Now, the believer's attitude in a deliverance comes into play here, the way you approach this. There are three or four things I want to share with you today as we go about your attitude in administering deliverance to somebody. Number one, humility. Humility. Be humble. Don't go around like you are a know-it-all and you're cocky and the devil runs just seeing you get up in the morning. He goes, ah! He's awake. The devil's not scared of you. The devil fears God. He believes in God. He fears and trembles with his belief. He even knows he has a short time. He can't stay. He's doing everything he can to wreak havoc in God's kingdom. 
But he says, with you, you put him, the Bible says, under your feet. It's 1 Corinthians 15. You think about it in light of what I'm saying. Jesus is going to be seated in heaven until his enemies are made his footstool. And he's the head. Who's the feet? We are, his body. He's already made it possible. He's already triumphed over these things. And now he's commissioned to us. First John 3, 8, as the Father hath sent me to destroy the works of the devil, you go do the same thing. Everywhere you can find him, you deal with him. Put him under your feet, and the devil knows when you believe he's done. He has to obey you, but you have to keep at it. You have to stay in shape. You have to stay tuned in. You have to be alert, and you have to be discerning. Not only to enjoy life and, and have a good time, but to deal with those dark times in our life that we have to be, well, authoritative with our deliverance. And sometimes that's exactly what you have to do, but you have to be humble. Would you turn to Isaiah 57, please? Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Here's what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place with him or her that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Contrite means Christ, you know, lowered, humbled spirit. Let me say it again. I dwell with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He says the same thing as Isaiah 66 and verse 2 similarly. God's not looking for some arrogant know-it-all, some loud mouth finger pointer. He's looking for the humble, the meek. Those that are equipped but not trying to make a show of it. But if you deal with them, they'll deal with you. It's God who makes the power come, and it's God who supplies the power. John the Baptist, he was pretty great, wasn't he, amongst men? We saw Jesus, he said, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, or I'm not worthy to bear his shoes. I'm nobody. He must increase I must decrease. The centurion in Matthew chapter 8 said, my servant is homesick. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. My house is not good enough for you. But boy, your word, when you speak a word, the dark world trembles. And if you'll say a word concerning the problem that he had, which is physical, if you'll speak it over here, over there, they'll have to go. And Jesus spoke a word. When he got home, his servant was healed. That's power. That's authority. Wouldn't you like to have that? Behold, I give unto you power. These signs shall follow those who believe. And trust me with this. When you're out there on the streets, if you are, if you ever are, somewhere witnessing, you're going to encounter something that you're going to have to have the power to deal with. You will. If you've been in another country, you know what I'm talking about. A second thing is honesty. 
You don't try to go beyond who you are, where you are, or what you know. You cannot fabricate and make up something to get a name for yourself. I've known back in the late 80s, those who wanted to fabricate some kind of elaborate deliverance message so that they were unique. And boy, if you wanted real deliverance, you had to travel wherever they were to get them to take you through deliverance. I ministered with out in Texas one time years ago with a guy who wrote a book on deliverance, well known. And I spoke in his church. He was big on deliverance. I just taught on faith. I remember his wife came up after it was over and she said, you know, I've been dealing with the problem my whole life. And I realized tonight for the first time what my problem was and the Lord set me free because I believed. And I didn't say, well, I imagine so. Look, you know. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do it because we're still unprofitable servants, even if great things were done through us. You didn't do it. God did it. At least be honest enough to admit it. That it's not I, but the greater one who dwells in me. Jesus said, the power that I have comes from the Father. It's not me, it's him. And the same thing is true with us. It's not us, it's him. The third thing is that you cannot deal with difficult demonic things if you have unconfessed sin in your life. If you're living in the shadows of this world, and you're trying to hide your sins, chances are whatever happens to you, while God will honor the word that you speak, he may not honor you. The scripture says this. It says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them, he shall have mercy. So I got to realize, just like preaching, what am I going to preach if I don't live it? If I preach to you one thing and live something else, I'm the typical preacher. Well, you know, that's what you're supposed to say. You hired me to say that. I said it. It doesn't matter what I do. I just, you know, hired preacher. You hire me, pay me my weekly salary, and I'll say what you want me to say, and then it's your problem. But what good would it be for you to preach how to be saved if you didn't care how to get saved? Or you weren't concerned that people were saved. Why would you want to preach on healing if you don't trust God yourself? Listen, let's be honest about something. God called us to be spiritually real. No shows, no put-ons, just real. To humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, who by the finger of one hand cast out devils. That's how hard it was for God to deal with them, a finger. What we do is that we recognize that God sees everything we do, hears everything we think. And if I'm going to keep myself clean before God and useful to the Lord, then I'm going to have to do it his way. When something's not right, something's not the way it should be, I need to confess it and deal with it. If I'm running around on my wife or I'm lying and stealing and cheating with the IRS or whatever else, I've negated any power that I could have. I have. I know God honors his word. Let me say this before I close. There have been many stories in life about preachers that were less than ethical, less than right, less than pure and clean. They were notorious for running around, for drinking, for carousing, 
giving speeches about their needs when they had a million dollars in the bank. One preacher said one time if he didn't raise $7 million, he was going to die. He had two or three airplanes, two big houses. I don't know how much money he had begging for your money. See, there's something about that that's not right. There's some kind of a self-exaltation here that's not good for people. And when you're living in a dark world, when you're living a false life, only bad can come at the end. Nothing good can come. Didn't Jesus say to ministers in Matthew 7, I never knew you, but I honored my word. When you preach the word and people sat there, they believed you. They thought you were all right. And what you said, they believed it. They got saved. Even though you're a charlatan, they got saved. How could that be? Because God honors his word. Even some people that deal with adversity and casting out the devil, you know, God honors his word with them in those cases. These signs shall follow those that believe in my name it shall cast out devils. He's talking about you. Are you a believer? How many of you are not believers and don't want to be a believer? Rather not, would rather perish. No hands up. How many of you want to be a believer and do everything God said? We all do. Amen. All. A amen. So, in conclusion, as Christians, we're made in the image of God. We represent God on this earth in his likeness and his image. The only thing he made that was like that was us. We're the only thing that can carry his word and preach, us. Now, he gives us that. He gives us authority. He changes our life so we can have a testimony that people will believe and have confidence in. He makes us like that. We need that. And not only does he give us those two things, but when we meet up with the devil, to me and for you, it, it becomes personal. If the devil challenges you and challenges your Christianity, it's time to stand your ground. And when you administer deliverance or you go through deliverance yourself, all that can come out of this is victory for God. People take note that you have walked with the Lord they can see a change in your life. They tell people about you. You know, I remember him when he was in high school. I remember him when he was coaching basketball. I remember him and, oh, man. But, you know, I've been watching him pretty hard. He ain't like that no more. Well, I can say this to all of you. Anybody can be all right for two or three years. Let me see you in 15 years growing. 15 years. Yeah, that's not so long. That's not so far. 15 years growing, holding on to the faith. I wish I could say every time I hear about somebody getting saved and that I could get all excited about, wow, you know, but I've seen so many come and so many go. I've seen so many come that didn't want to be taught, didn't come on Wednesday night. That must be an awful night. They just came to church and listened to a few sermons and left and went out in the world, didn't know how to fight, didn't know how to keep themselves clean, didn't know what they were dealing with, and they fell away. Got busy, got busy with the world. More busy with the world than they are with God. Don't need that weeknight stuff. When you look at them now, you see how the devil has finally shut them down. 
shut them down. It's hard to get them going again, too. Especially the older you get, the longer you stay shut down, the harder it is to get loose. I suggest all of us today, those of you that listen, that you take to heart what the Lord is saying to you about your battle with the enemy on the inside. Because God wants to make us free. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, help us to recognize our ministries. That we are here not only to represent you on this earth, but to be a part of how you liberate people on this earth. Thank you for your word and thank you for those that believe it. Thank you for those that deal with things. Thank you for the good testimonies in the church. Thank you for the people that just won't give up and quit and back off. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those that are hungry and searching and want more. Thank you, Lord. I pray of this congregation that I'm standing before, that everybody here will deal with anything and everything in their life that binds them, everything that leave nothing undone until the only thing that comes out of them is the glory of God. I ask you to bless your word to your people, not what I've said, Lord, but what you say. I ask you to bless this word to these people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? Shall stand before my 